RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Joanna Williams is the founder and director of independent think tank Keo, a weekly columnist for the online magazine Spiked, and writes regularly for numerous other publications, including The Times, The Spectator, The Telegraph, and The Daily Mail. Now, this is going back. If you have been with us since our launch date, March 20th, you might remember that name, Joanna Williams, because Joanna was our first interview guest, author of How Woke Won, if you remember, on RCR. So it's a great pleasure, Joanna. You have a place in our history to welcome you back to Reality Check Radio. It's a real honour. Thank you for having me back. How's the book been going, by the way? Yeah, really good, thank you. I think there's been a real appetite for uh, finding out about Woke more broadly and, and kind of where it came from and why this has taken off and become such a big thing in our society. Uh, so I was quite timely, I think, to have the book there ready when people are looking for answers to those questions. Okay, so we're, what, um, about seven or eight months down the track now since we spoke. <laughs> Rhymes with woke. Um, has there been a change? Has there been any change since that you can detect? Yeah, definitely. I think there, there has been a bit of a backlash towards some of these woke ideas. I mean, the phrase people use sometimes online um, is peak woke. You know, have I've we used passed, it myself? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have we passed the peak of this madness? And, you know, I'm always very reluctant to make predictions, but suddenly sometimes it seems as if we have, you know, there's glimmers of hope, I think, in some areas. It's always a bit like a game of whack-a-mole, I think, you know, when you're at the fairground and and these this madness kind of pops up in one area and you squash it down and it rears its ugly head somewhere else um but i think you know one thing i've been very interested in is this whole idea of woke capitalism and we've seen a number of, of firms um who've changed really the the nature of their advertising which i think to me says something quite important that they've realized that consumers do not want to have a lecture rammed down their throat when all they're doing is looking to buy a pair of trainers or a bottle of beer. I think I think one point that was really significant in all of this was the uh, Bud Light boycott in the uh, US. Um, listeners might remember uh, Bud Light. I mean, I think it's pretty horrible beer myself, but, you know, people did, believe it or not, used to buy this beer. And um, they had a, a special promotion where they used the transgender um, model, uh, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, yes. uh, who kind of prances around in little dresses and pretends to be a girl. Um, and they made a special kind of Bud Light with Dylan Mulvaney's face on it. And uh, he then kind of held up this can of beer and um, made a little promotional video. And I think people who drink Bud Light just took one look and thought, what the heck are you playing at? You know, really, do you think we need lessons in gender identity? We need to hear from Dylan Mulvaney about buying our beer. And I think en masse just decided we're not going to buy this anymore. And for me, I think that was a real kind of turning point now with some of these businesses. Yeah. So I guess business probably trails behind the culture, right? That's how it works. And there's a delay factor in there. So the culture can change again, though it was probably never there for Bud drinkers by, by the sounds <laughs> of things because that's the sort of heartland 
American kind of, I wouldn't say macho, but red-blooded drink, right? So why would you interfere with that brand? But um, uh, I'm sure there have been lots of businesses who have sort of followed this and then realized at some point, oh, my golly, uh, turn the ship around. And that's because of that lag time that exists between culture and, and what flows behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, another high-profile example very recently has been Victoria's Secret, uh, the, the kind of sexy lingerie um, firm um, popular with young women. And they, for, for years, did this uh, show, annual kind of modeling show, where they had really kind of glamorous, um, super skinny models um, parading up and down with with wings, which, I, again, uh, you know, maybe I'm a bit old, but I never quite understood the whole wings thing. Okay. <laughs> I think they're supposed to be like Victoria's Angels, right. I think was yeah. the thing. So they, they were wearing underwear as well, just to clarify. They were wearing the underwear and wings and stiletto okay. shoes, looking incredibly glamorous. And and for years, Victoria's Secret sold very well. You know, they, they made big profits off the back of having these uh, glamorous models and these shows. And then a couple of years ago, some bright spark in their advertising department uh, decided that this was no longer appropriate, that they needed to be more inclusive. And rather than just having kind of glamorous, sexy, skinny women, they needed to uh, be more diverse and they needed to have women who were more famous for their achievements than their looks. Uh, so they needed oh. to have kind of a uh, woman with a disability, a lesbian woman, uh, black women, white women, brown women, um, fat women, thin women, you know, to, to kind of show bo body positivity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure this will come as a real shock to your listeners, but uh, profits dropped. You know, it turns out that when women are buying uncomfortable, sexy underwear, um, they don't want to think about fat women um, and their achievements. They want to think they're going to look glamorous and sexy themselves, even if that's more fantasy rather than reality. And and so the, the sales of this underwear went down. And now Victoria's Secret have decided that they're going to revive um, the glamorous approach again. Which, you know, I think it's just another example of how businesses are waking up. Exactly as you say, you know, people have changed and people have wised up to some of these of this a little bit. Um, and businesses are now lagging behind and backtracking massively. I always wonder what kind of is the fate of whoever came up with that bright idea, you know, um, when, yeah. you know, someone calls that person into the office and says, hey, We've, you know, Bud, Bud Light, we've just taken a $4 billion hit. Any other great ideas you've got, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'd really love to think that they get their comeuppance, um, you know, but my my sad guess is that they probably don't. They probably just get moved sideways into the um, ever-growing EDI, the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion uh, yeah. departments. Probably came from and there originally. get given a job on staff, tra staff training or something like that. Uh, in the Victoria's Secret case, I could see how you could rationalise, because all women, I'm sure, buy underwear and lingerie. I mean, I'm no expert on this, I can tell you. Uh, but um, you could make that assumption and you could say, well, that makes the product more accessible. On paper, you can almost make a case that this might sell more. But good old human nature doesn't change much, really, does it, in the end? 
I think that's true. And I, I think it gets to what the fundamental point of advertising is. And and I mean, I'm no um, advertising executive, you know, I've got no um, MBA or anything like that. But I did watch Mad Men, <laughs> yeah. that brilliant television program out in the US several years ago now. And to me, it just seems that the point of advertising is actually to take us away from reality a little bit and let us indulge in a fantasy. And, you know, you want to think that you're going to look glamorous when you're going to make an expensive That you could look you like one of those models, potentially. Absolutely. Or with the case of, of Budweiser, like you were saying, you want to buy into that American image of kind of rugged masculinity. You know, even if you're somebody who wears a suit and sits in an office for eight hours each day, you know, you want to have that image of, of kind of rugged masculinity or kind of hyper femininity. And, and, you know, deep down, people are not daft. They know that this is a fantasy. Um, but it's just like, well, why not? If I'm going to spend my money, let me indulge this this kind of dream rather than um, gritty reality of what life actually is about. Or I think even worse than gritty reality, you know, people just don't like being hectored. Yeah. People don't like having um, political messages rammed down their throat when all they're trying to do is is buy a drink or buy some underwear. Um, I mean, again, I don't know if you had this advert in New Zealand, but in the UK, another really big example of this, again, maybe about two, three years ago, uh, was with Gillette, the razor um, yep. brand. We had and that they'd here. always had yep. the slogan, you know, the best a man can get. And then they decided that men are basically toxic yeah. uh, or masculinity is toxic. So rather than advertising saying the best a man can get, uh, they changed it to the best a man can be. Yeah. And they had these adverts of men at barbecues kind of uh, tripping over themselves to kind of say, no, after you and let me help the little baby up who's fallen over and kind of in some ways doing all the things that men do do every single day. You well, know, this is the thing. Men uh, by, by, are by, nice. <laughs> by telling them or, or role modeling that, um, it, it, it's 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 not authentic because most men say, "Well, I I do that already." So what are you trying to tell me? You know exactly uh, that I'm hardwired exactly. that, and I, that I, I don't I think do it's that point yeah. about. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, and it's that point about what are you trying to tell me that people don't like? You know, because essentially the message was, "Men, there's something wrong with you." Um, we need to tell you how to do being a man properly. Uh, we need to correct your toxic masculinity. And I think that's that. That's what people really object to. People don't want to be told by a, a company trying to tell them something. There's something wrong with you. We're here to put you right. Well, well, they, they backtracked on that too, didn't they? I mean, it got a lot of publicity. So it, mm. it, awareness was big and, and maybe that was a kind of a lost leader to bounce back on because, uh, but I think they, they kind of pulled back on that pretty quick too, didn't they, from memory? I think they did. I think they did eventually. Um, but but again, it's just clearly shows, I think, a real divide between who's sitting in the uh, advertising offices, who's sitting in the executive suites of these um, companies and the general public. Because the very fact that these adverts are put out there in the first place suggests that the people who are operating in those positions in businesses today do think that this is all right. They do have that kind of, to me, it's it's quite a contemptuous view of the public. Again, you know, we need them to come along and kind of save us with these moral messages. Otherwise, we'll, men will go along kind of 
being boorish and, and rude and women all go along getting kind of neurotic because they see a, a skinny model and feel insecure. Yeah, give me the razor that works. Give me a beer that I feel comfortable <laughs> with drinking and give me some lingerie that makes me feel sexy. I don't know. Um, um, well, they always say in advertising, sell the sizzle. Always sell the sizzle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are we seeing... Um, some sort of, okay, departure from woke capitalism um, as we've just been talking about it there. And I'm, I'm probably still um, some companies that are that are engaged in that. And there's probably an industry behind it too, isn't it? The accreditation and scores and things like that, a whole little ecosystem of that. Uh, what what do you have in, in the UK that sort of um, – um, scoring companies, for example, uh, rating yeah. on, on their performance here. No, this is absolutely true, and this is why you know sometimes I'm I'm feeling optimistic, sometimes I'm not, because I think work capitalism is a lot more than about just the advertising and the branding. Uh, it seems certainly in the UK that this is really how business operates nowadays uh, through all these. Um, it's called uh, we have ESG government governance, environmental, social um, governance. Um, we have kind of sustainability goals, net zero targets, uh, equity, diversity and inclusivity officers within every company, every university, every public sector organization. And my goodness, all of these regulations, you know, they generate paperwork. You get inches thick of, of papers to have to wade through if you want to do anything. I mean, certainly if you want to make money nowadays, it seems you have to wade through pages and pages and pages. You know, you might be... Um, setting up a, a tuition company to teach children, you know, help children with their homework, and yet you'll have to prove that you're kind of net zero compliant and, you know, complying with all of these regulations, which seemingly have nothing to do with the main purpose of your business. And, um, you know, that is mounting up even while the work advertising is being challenged. And, and it's almost as if this this regulation around woke values has become the way that businesses operate nowadays, the way they relate to one another. Um, and I think more importantly, the way the state, the government kind of relates to businesses and kind of regulates the whole system and i think that's a much much bigger problem because you know you can change your advertising but whilst all of this uh, regulation is in place and and you've got companies i mean you, you b corp is the main one we've got kind of 1900 multinational corporations in the uk who were signed up to this kind of charter i think it comes from an american um charity originally but again, you know, that begs the question to me, well, why are these companies rushing to sign up to this? You know, they clearly think that this is important. They they are doing this voluntarily a lot of times and they're taking on board all these regulations seemingly because they want to. Is it because if they're not seen to be doing it and, and uh, displaying that for everyone to see, that somehow they'll be, you know, they'll be excluded from opportunities They'll be branded, uh, you know, a particular way, and really they have no choice but to follow along. Otherwise, they're ostracized in the business world, potentially, anyway. 
Yeah, I think that's a really big part of it. Um, but I think two other things that strike me, I mean, one is that, you know, this has got to start somewhere. If one person just stops and says, well, do you know what? I'm not going to do this. You know, if some business, really, really big business, Microsoft, yeah. Coca-Cola, Google, for example, if they said, hang on a minute, we're not going to do this, then that would give smaller companies permission to not have to do it either. Um, you know, and, and, and I can't remember the second thing. I'm yeah, afraid, but um, <laughs> the big, the bigger the, um, the bigger the, the multinational corporation, let's say at Microsoft or Google scale, that's actually a way for them to control, well, you know, countries, economies, um, cultures. They're at that level of power that they can do that. They might not believe in any of it, but having that imposed um, dictates a, a particular ecosystem that they can control yeah i think that's absolutely right uh, but i think sometimes at the very top of these companies you know i think we shouldn't underestimate the extent to which they do actually believe in all of this um because i think it gives them uh, a kind of a warm fuzzy if you like it oh, um yeah. Yeah. it gives them a sense of purpose and a sense of moral mission and i think if you're the head of coca-cola or microsoft nowadays you know just just going home at night going to bed and thinking do you know what i've made a whole heap of money isn't enough for these people anymore i mean i'll be honest with you it'd be enough for me <laughs> well if you're the head of I'd coke <laughs> You should be going home and, and, and getting into bed and worrying about all the teeth that are rotting from your product, not, <laughs> yeah. not how virtuous yeah. you are. Absolutely. Um, but I yeah. think making money for the people, who, for your employers, allowing your, your employers to make a lot of money um, and pumping money into the economy, making the economy generally more productive. To me, those are good purposes because, you know, the more um, productive the economy, the more money there is going around, the more we can improve the health service, you know, yeah. and, and make life better for people. Uh, whereas they have lost faith in that. They don't think that's good enough. They need to go to bed at night telling themselves that they're working towards net zero or um, you know, making life better for um, disabled transgender lesbians in Mongolia. You know, it's only doing <laughs> like that. It. They can yeah, but making no compromises their in their standard of living, I would imagine. Exactly. Still flying exactly. around in the corporate jet and uh, doing things like that. Have we seen a shift of woke followers or woke people from, uh, I mean, there are the political issues and, you know, the products and uh, and maybe we should talk about GB News as well as a, as a victim because uh, I think they've been suffering ad boycotts because they're perceived to be non-woke. Non but, um, you know, there, there have been some pretty huge events in the world in the past month. I think you know what I'm alluding to. And it seems that um, there's a woke element in that as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the events in Israel um, and Hamas have, well, I have to confess, have, have shocked and upset me. But I think what shocked me, dare I say, it, almost just as much as the events on the ground um, in Israel and, and the barbaric and terrorist attacks that took place on the 7th of October, uh, has been the response in, in countries around the world. I mean, in the UK, on the streets of London, for, for three consecutive Saturdays now, we've had protests, pro-Palestinian, essentially pro-Hamas protests, involving 
thousands and thousands of people. I mean, these have been some of the biggest protests we've seen with very kind of crude anti-Semitic slogans sometimes or or placards. Uh, People actually on the streets of London chanting for jihad. You know, I only hope they don't know what that means. Um, but but people who are, like I said, they're waving Palestinian flags, chanting for jihad, uh, demanding Israel be put in the bin, you know, on the streets of London. And, and I think this really does link to the white politics that has kind of sunk in in the West, you know, in a number of ways. One thing that strikes me is the way woke um, kind of ostensibly tries to promote the victim in all circumstances and and comes out with these very crude ideas of, of dividing the world into kind of privileged and oppressed or countries into kind of colonizers and colonized. And I think you've got a number of, of kind of white Western liberals now to be crude who are looking at the situation in Israel and Palestine. They know absolutely nothing about what's going on on the ground. You know, they chant to the river to, from the river to the sea. They wouldn't even be able to name the river or the sea involved, half of them. And yet they're busy make, chanting these slogans. And um you know, the reason why they're doing this, the reason why they're coming out pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas, is because they're thinking, well, this is about brown people versus white people. This is about rich people versus poor people. And this is about a colonizer versus a colonized, even though that bears little relation to what's actually happening on the ground, you know, creates this very simplistic narrative, this very simplistic framework. Meanwhile, you know, you can talk about 1,400 Israeli citizens being brutally butchered children being kidnapped, and they have no interest in that whatsoever. Worse than no interest, we've seen um, posters showing Israeli babies who've been kidnapped, um, and protesters going tearing down these posters. It's like they can't cope with something that challenges their view. You know, the idea that there may be innocent Israeli victims in this is something that just completely blows that simplistic narrative that they've constructed. Yeah, that that ripping down of posters, that that kind of is like not being able to debate or sticking your fingers in your ears and going, you know, making a noise so you can't hear what the other person's saying. So that is very, that's a very woke characteristic, isn't it? I mean, woke people do not want to debate. They don't want to have, have any discourse. Um, uh, do you think um, the the way you you know frame that that's all about seeing everything as a victim score? Then isn't it? That's that's what that is anchored to. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's crude and it's simplistic, um, but it and it, and like I said, and I think most importantly, it bears little relationship to reality. Yeah. But this is this is what the kind of woke worldview, if you like, the woke thinking kind of indoctrinates in people. It it tells them that this is the right way. Uh, to see the world. And and on the point you're making about no debate, sticking your fingers in, in their ears, you know, this is is absolutely spot on. You know, that that's exactly what they're doing. And I think the thing it, it shows me is that woke, they often speak the 
language of kind of kindness, you know, that the hashtag that does the round on, rounds on social media is kind of hashtag be kind. And they, they also use the language of safety. You know, they try to turn universities into a safe space. And it just shows, I think, the events of the last few weeks, these protests that we've seen just show that this is absolute rubbish. You know, they talk about be kind whilst holding a, a tearing down a poster of a kidnapped baby. You know, they talk about a safe space whilst holding up an anti-Semitic placard. You know, this is safety for them and kindness to people who well, think that, that's, the same way that That's they your do. classic double speak. That's your Orwellian double speak right there in, uh, you know, 2023. Who are these people, though? When you look at these crowds, I mean, I've seen a few clips. Uh, you know, they're usually from an aerial vantage point, so it's hard to see the individuals really, but who, who are the people? Uh, I mean, is it a mix? Is it middle-class white kids? Is it immigrants? Is it a mix of all? Uh, what are the age groups? Because that, that would be fascinating to understand who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've not kind of read any statistical studies or anything like like that, but I've seen a number of these marches taking place now. And my impression is that it is a mixed group. Uh, yeah. You know, you've got this kind of really ugly coalition forming between uh, kind of either recent immigrants or the, the kind of next generation of immigrant communities uh, who feel strong affinity to Muslim as their religion and uh, to kind of Islamic countries as their identity. Um, you know, they're there with the, the Palestinian flags, but then they're being joined, you know, along, sat alongside by kind of uh, young white liberals who are kind of recent middle class graduates who I think are the most clueless in about all of the in all of this. I think the the kind of recent immigrants from Islamic countries or the descendants of those, you know, they are horrible because they absolutely do know what this is all about. And when they chant from the river to the sea, they absolutely know the genocidal intent behind that slogan. I think the the kind of white middle class recent university graduates are just thick. I think being at mm -hmm. university has taught them absolutely nothing apart from how to be a horrible person. And, and they kind of think it's cool to, to shout the jihad, having no understanding whatsoever of that means. And I think the third component in there uh, are the kind of boomers, dare I say it, the kind of white lefty boomers who've traditionally been kind of anti-war, uh, you know, the, the kind of CND marches. Yep. I mean, perhaps in some ways this is the group I can perhaps feel slight sympathy with, you know, who I'm sure they would argue that they just kind of are kind of hippie-like, almost are, are into peace and want to stop the war. But I think, again, there's a, a strong level of ignorance there of, of a kind of refusal to see how the world has changed, you know, being kind of anti-Israeli and pro-Palestinian today when Hamas, is a terrorist group, is in charge of Gaza is not the same as it was 40, 50 years ago. You know, that mm. that is not the same proposition, but they've just not kept up with changing developments and they're still thinking, you know, being anti-nuclear bomb and being anti-Israel um, is the same today as it was 50 years ago. Yeah. What about the media and its role in this? The establishment establishment mainstream media, I'm thinking BBC and, and all the others that, that you've got there, I'm picking would 
would err on the side of the woke, would they? Well, one major dispute that we've had in the UK since October the 7th is the fact that um, the BBC did not label the attacks on Israel as terrorist attacks, you know, they and they won't label Hamas a terrorist group. And now the British government labels Hamas a terrorist group. You know, I actually think talking about this as a terrorist attack is actually a a fairly mild description for what happened on that day. You know, this wasn't uh, a kind of act of war, as you might understand it. This was was barbarism. This was people being kind of hand gliding into a music festival and opening fire, you know, and I won't even get into the more vile, you know, that's the kind of minor end of it. Um, You know, to, 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 to me, terrorism is a very... A kind of uh, toned down word almost to describe what happened, but not to be able to say terrorism for this in and of itself seems to lend an air of legitimacy to Hamas's actions, almost describes it as having the moral equivalence with a, a kind of regular army in a country that might want to defend itself. Like freedom fighter kind of... Uh attack more yeah. than a terrorist attack did did they explain why they didn't go there was there any mention of of that or is it just not I mean, there's been very little comment from the BBC on why, but they, I mean, it it essentially is the argument that you've said about one man's freedom fighter, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, uh, but they're reluctant to apply that label because they don't, they want to keep open the possibility that it's not terrorism, but it's a a kind of equal act of of war, you know, that, that this comes within a context that, that um, unlike, say, maybe the uh, attacks on the World Trade Tower in New York, um, that, that that this comes within a, a geographical and a historical context that perhaps lends an explanation and makes it uh, not just a, a kind of random act of terrorism. Is the heat, the energy, the, at the protest level anyway, still in this? Oh, my goodness. If anything, it's growing. Um, It's growing week by week. And particularly right now, because um, tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, sorry, Saturday is the 11th of November, uh, which, of course, in the UK and I think probably around the world as well is Armistice Day. Uh, You know, this is the 11th of November. This is when traditionally in the UK, you know, in London, we've got uh, politicians out on the the cenotaph near the Houses of Parliament, in wreaths, and this has been the route of the uh, marches that, that the marches have taken. So there's been a massive issue over just over the past few days about whether protesters will still be able to march and whether they'll march past the cenotaph and whether they'll come into conflict with the people who are engaged in acts of remembrance. Oh dear, well, <laughs> we hope that doesn't cut up rough. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm not optimistic, I have to say. It it seems like the march will go ahead. Um, you know, there's been talk about using perhaps a different route. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does look as if there are, we are set for some quite major uh, clashes on the streets of London this, this uh, Saturday. Um, I, m- I mentioned the media just before and earlier GB News because they've also kind of got into trouble with with the wokesters let's say um i think they have 
um, been looking down the barrel of what ad boycotts, advertiser boycotts, which is very difficult if you're in a, you know, running a business on advertising revenue. If you're a media business, um, how are they sitting in this issue um, compared to the BBC? And are they sort of showing any signs of being forced to go any particular way, given they might have business issues as a result of their kind of brand of of, of media? Absolutely. Uh, no, I, I think GB News have come out of this really, really well. I mean, they sent a, a correspondent, um, man I happen to know, Charlie Peters, young man, um, off to Israel straight away. They had someone on the ground. Uh, they've been very clear about calling these terrorist attacks and, and have really engaged in some very uh, good quality reporting, which I think actually puts the BBC and some of the other news outlets we've got in the UK to shame, you know, it shows that this can be done. I think GB News has been one of the biggest success stories in the UK over the past couple of years since it, it launched, I think, three years now. Uh, its viewership just continues to grow. And at peak times now, it often seems to get more viewers for its news than either the BBC or Sky News in the UK, which is, is a huge uh, testament to both, I think, the strength of the, that TV channel, but also the appetite in the public and and our kind of general rejection of, of the line that BBC and Sky News are, are pushing on people. But, but you're right, you know, GB News has been up against it, and it's been up against it since day one um, financially with advertisers pulling out. And it comes back to exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. You know, there's a real gap between um, where the public's at and where these companies are at. So, it, it, you know, even though I'm kind of fully immersed in all of this and, and this is the kind of issues that I look every single day it still blows my mind that you can have a television channel that attracts more viewers than either the bbc or sky and yet advertisers will make a big display about not advertising on gb news you just think this is insane you know if you want to sell your product and you want to be where consumers are then you need to be on gb news but they obviously would sooner put these kind of principles bogus principles i think based on lies essentially and, and rumor um, rather than reality above uh, actually selling to consumers. There have even been calls, correct me if I'm wrong, I think recently was it Lawrence Fox said some 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 things, okay, they weren't, uh, probably weren't very nice, but they weren't earth shattering. Um, and I think there were even calls to like – not only take him off the air, but to somehow punish um, through Ofcom um, the channel itself, which, you know, I think some are calling for it to be taken off the air, which is just way yeah. over the top. I mean, that's so extreme, is it not? It is. And I think the very fact that you've got commentators going on the BBC, you know, these are established, uh, longstanding media figures who feel it's appropriate to say, uh, you know, because I think when you run, I mean, I'm sure you know this far more than I do, but when you run a kind of talk radio show or, or a television channel like this, you know, you can't control everything that comes out of every person's mouth every second of the day. And ultimately, if you pin your kind of free speech colours to the mast, you have to be prepared for people saying things that you might not agree with. Um, but obviously, every instance of this is lapped on by 
people who have nothing whatsoever to do with the channel and used as an excuse to to try and um, call in regulators and get the channel shut down, which shows to me just a real deep insecurity. You know, they, they want to, the old media establishment uh, want to be in control. You know, they don't like these young upstarts and they can cope with the young upstarts if they think no one's going to tune in and it'll all just fade away. You know, two people will, will listen in and, and it'll fade away. But when six months on, three years on, these young upstarts are still there and what's more growing and attracting more listeners and viewers, they feel that as a real attack, not just on their kind of media, the traditional media landscape, but let's be blunt, they experience that as an attack upon their power. You know, they enjoyed that power to dictate the narrative, to say to people, this is the way to understand what's going on in the world today. And you bring in a competitor who's saying something different and that competitor's pro uh, popular, you lose your power to be able to do that. It's so obvious. <laughs> you know, yeah. you could just, you know, it's like a big flashing neon arrow pointing right at it. It's so obvious and it must hurt them to know that they're being taken to the cleaners ratings wise. It's, it's not working. The old dinosaurs sort of trying to do its last roar. Um, just curious, any more talk of Russell Brand or is that everyone moved on from him? Yeah, I think everybody's moved on now. I, I think, Oh, well, yeah, partly everybody's moved on, but I think it's just taking a different form as well. I think um, a couple of the women who brought the allegations against Brand, uh, the more serious allegations, uh, have actually now gone to the police. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I always find this a little bit surprising that people will go to the media before going to the police. Um, I'm... I, maybe that's just me. You know, it's not the way I would do things if something uh, serious had happened to me and like personal. that. Yeah, I would. My my response would be to go to the police first. You know, uh, that to me seems like a natural response. But anyway, the upshot is that, that a couple of these women have now gone to the police with allegations. So I think not just as the world moved on and our attention has kind of gone elsewhere, but I think the fact that, that this is now taking the form of, of a criminal investigation um, puts a different slant on it in the media yeah. and with the way we're, we're kind of allowed to discuss these matters yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Um, so I think I think uh, I guess the story will bounce back, and when you know when or if uh, Brand is is brought before before a court of law to actually answer to some of these allegations, no doubt this will become another um, a, a big story once more. But for now, it's certainly uh, died down a little bit. Okay, well that's been another really interesting chat. So peak woke has. Has happened? Do you think? Can we can we confidently <laughs> yeah, say that, or, or would it come back and slap us in the face again? Unfortunately, never say never, and uh, you know you've got to be careful about these things. I think I think be vigilant. You know, like be saying vigilant. it. I think it's yeah. like a game Watch of out for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Just keep whacking them down and they yeah. pop up somewhere else. Well, yeah. we'll challenge the bud light, but it'll come back uh, with with something else. So. I worry particularly about what children are being taught in school and about how this is taking root. You know, uh, us kind of um, Generation X people or whatever, you know, I think we're, 
kind of quite wise, but I worry about uh, kind of younger generations who are, particularly through schools and universities, are not even told that this is an opinion. You know, they're kind of taught a lot of this rubbish as, as kind of fact, as, as the way to make sense of the world, and the only way to to see what's going on. So I think, you know, there's a long way to go in, in properly challenging this. But But the fact that there are some challenges now, I think, is a really positive thing. The worst could be yet to come, actually. I hope not. No, I'm saying, but just to thinking about what you just said there. Yeah. That's next level. It is. And it hasn't appeared on the scene yet, but it's coming. It is. And, you know, I just, I always kind of try and have faith in people. I mean, the bottom line is I, unlike some of these woke advertising companies we were talking about, you know, I, I don't think people are stupid. You know, I think people are sensible um, at heart. You know, most people are fairly sensible. And so I my hope, I guess, is that even with young people who are being, I think, indoctrinated through school and university, I just hope that, you know, they these young people, they also do have families, you know, and um, they live in a wider community other than just the school and university. And I do hope somewhere along the line, these these kids, you know, we've got Christmas coming up, you know, they go home, they see their families, they sit down for their Christmas dinner next to their gran, and uh, they hear that their gran has got a different view and they love their gran, <laughs> you know, it's, you would it's hope. the bottom line. I hope, you know, I hope. And and I think that might just make some of them think, you know, well, maybe there is another side to the story here. And perhaps as they grow up and um, become a bit more sensible, leave behind that daily indoctrination uh, and and realise that their own family members, their neighbours think about the world a little bit differently and perhaps not for bad reasons, but for good reasons um, that you then will begin to see sense. Maybe I'm being very naive, but that's certainly I'm clinging on to that hope and no one's going to take it away from me. I'll join you in that, actually. (laughs) Joanna Williams, great to have you back on our radio station, author of How Woke Won, and that was our first interview at RCR back on the 20th of March. I remember it so well. Thanks for coming back. I'm sure we can chat again sometime. Absolutely, um, a real pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.